Dennis, Jan, Matthew, welcome to the European VC podcast and to this special episode, the memo episode. And to the people listening in, Matthew just celebrated vividly like, wow, this is an achievement of a lifetime. <laughs> I'm kidding, Matthew. <laughs> Guys, second podcast. Second podcast, second podcast. Definitely many more to come. Uh, we're super excited to have you guys. We met you almost a year ago, actually, uh, in London in the offices of Eisenberg Capital. Um, and we, we grew to get to know you better, uh, learn about what you're building, and hopefully everyone will be as excited as we are about it. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Start with the basics and there's three of you, so this is going to be a bit complicated to coordinate, but I'd love to hear your stories. How the hell did you guys get into Web3, of course, but also how did you then get into venture? And finally, how did you come together? So let's start with the basics. How the hell did you guys get into Web3 and venture? Feel free to take it, anyone. All right, so I guess we'll go one at a time. So I'm Jan, and um, I've gotten into Web3. We all got in around the same time, around 2016. And so for me, it was one of these nerdy friends who just couldn't shut up, shut up about Ethereum. So I, I had to look into it and fell down the rabbit hole, as we say. And then I, I wrote my thesis about it. And that's actually how I met Matthew, because he was uh, advising that in the, in the frame of his PhD. Then I had a stint as a founder, spent some time at uh, Early Bird VC. And that's how I got a first glimpse into VC and uh, really liked it already then. Um, I, I also spent some time at Google, so these were all kind of um, different looks at technology, but Web3 was always um, um, drawing my attention because I was so excited about the potential of like building a whole new financial system and the next layer of the internet. I really dove in when I was at Outlier Ventures, which is the largest Web3 accelerator, and there I focused on token design, so I, I was working with over... 70 different projects and they all had very different use cases uh, but all in web3 and uh, uh, very interesting to get that breadth of, uh, of experience and Jan, just just before moving on where are you from where are you based i'm from switzerland and uh, i've spent the last year in lisbon and now temporarily back in switzerland again ah so you left the best city in the world ah, shame yeah on it's that. buzzing it really <laughs> there's so many so much founders uh, and and uh, so many founders and much activity uh, so I'll be spending more time there for sure. Awesome. Thank you, Jan. I'm Dennis. Uh, dear listeners, please map this voice to the name Dennis. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as Jan mentioned, we all met at university. Matthew and myself uh, were doing a PhD. Um, we have a fairly technical, quite technical background. Um, some of us were actually researching these web-free cryptocurrency blockchain applications. I personally was doing more on the machine learning side, but uh, yeah, it was ultimately it was at the, at the chair with our professor that we all, all got triggered from, okay, we've heard these blockchain protocols, we've heard about Bitcoin, maybe we've heard about Ethereum. Uh, it all sound, sounds a bit like complicated and we don't really get it we, we don't really know what it's used for but then being at the university that helped and that's basically what transitioned us from somewhat curious to very curious and very active and now very early which is uh, the name of our fund so now we are very early doing very early seed stage or pre-seed uh, investments in startups in this blockchain web free space. Awesome. I, I love that. Excited, very excited segue. Thank you for that, Dennis. That was fun. Dennis, where are you from? Where are you based? Uh, it's a complicated question. I'm based in Zurich, <laughs> Switzerland. Uh, I moved here like eight years ago, eight and a half years ago for the PhD. I think I have mentioned so like, like actually the PhD was in Zurich at ETH, ETH Zurich. Is a bit funny if you're in the Ethereum space, the ETH usually stands for Ethereum and we're doing like ETH or ETH Denver or ETH Lisbon or 
soon ETH Zurich conferences as well. So the ETH is following us everywhere. Um, yeah, it was 2014 when I moved here from Germany. That's where I lived most of my life. Uh, originally, I was born in the Balkans in Bosnia, but now I'm in Switzerland. Awesome. Matthew, tell our audience, who are you? Yeah, so I mean, I got into crypto purely uh, through luck. So I joined this chair at ETH Zurich to do my PhD after abandoning another PhD, which I didn't like. And um, this one really caught my, caught my attention. So I was actually doing research on Ethereum and other blockchain systems and how you can translate some of these properties of blockchains into traditional distributed systems. And that's where I met Dennis, who was doing the PhD at the same chair, and then Jan, who was doing his bachelor thesis with me. So, so we all uh, met in 2016. And yeah, from there, I started doing tech TD for traditional VCs who were going into the space and needed, you know, a bright mind to look at uh, just all these random white papers that they got sent and didn't know which ones to invest in. After that, I joined MakerDAO as a product manager. So I was always interested in, in both the business and the tech side of things. Uh, led a spin-off of Maker, had to close that pretty quickly again. So, you know, gone through the whole the whole startup uh, cycle in, in maybe half a year. Uh, went to Cello as a product manager and then funded uh, the fund together with, with Dennis and Jan uh, last year. So you guys, you guys, uh, all, kind of all three of you spoke about, yeah, and then we started a fund, right? <laughs> Let's dive a bit into that, you know. How, how did that come together? Uh, f first time fund. Uh, first time, first time GPs, right as well. N not necessarily, I would guess, the most expected outcome given your backgrounds, right? Around your your peers, probably you're the only ones doing this, right? So, how did you come to, to the realization that you wanted to start very early, and how was that journey? Because a little bird tells me there was some ups, of course, but also some downs. Yeah. So, I mean. We've been investing for a very long time, right? Like back in 2016, we bought our first ETH or 2015. Um, and then the ICO mania came and we invested more and more. And um, then later on, we started to do uh, angel tickets into private rounds. And it was just something uh, that kind of evolved naturally. And we've been through the ups and downs and we discovered a bit what type of investment style we like, right? We're not the kind of hedge fund guys trading short to midterm. We really like understanding which protocols deliver and create true innovation and could be relevant in over the long term. And we are good at holding and keeping assets, which many people are struggle with, uh, but we are not, not so good at like selling in, in a timely manner. And then all of this coming together basically means that if we were to become professional investors, right, we, we should do a VC fund and not, not some other strategy. And why did we want to do a VC fund and not, not something else? I mean, I think I have an entrepreneurial uh, gene inside me for a long time. Like in my family, many people have their own businesses. And I always knew I wanted to build something. Could have been a fund, could have been something else. And it just so happened that I think, you know, the most important aspect in doing any venture is the team. That's what we look at a lot when investing. And that's what I was looking at a lot when deciding, you know, what to do next. And it just happened to to be so that, you know, Dennis... Jan and me, we had decided or, or were thinking about what to do next at somewhat the, the, the same time. And both Jan and Dennis didn't want to do like a traditional startup. Jan had been a founder before, right? Dennis is more a kind of a trader personality. And that's why we, we decided to do a fund together. And actually, it's not the first time that we decided this, right? I mean, uh, a little secret is that already in 2020, when I was just graduating from my PhD, uh, this team wanted to build the first fund already. Um, but, you know, the market was a true bear market. It would have been excellent timing to, to launch, but we just couldn't get it off the ground. And so two years uh, into the future, basically, we, we met again and, and decided to, to try again. And here we are and uh, we, we have launched. You know, we cannot hear you say that and then not dive into the fact that you've done a race that has definitely gone through the high high synops of uh, of web3 and anything that's called crypto so with that reason i have to ask you you know could you touch both on the journey there but and then i think afterwards we'll then talk about the opportunity 
but I'd love to, because we've got so many people, you know, or GPs listening in on this podcast. I'd love to ask you about that fundraise process and what it's been like to go through a time where anyone doing something in crypto could walk on water to then all of a sudden very much seeing the whole sector falling from grace in the people that are not deep inside uh, crypto Web3 uh, world. When you look at our LP base, it is true that most of them already understand crypto and have, you know, either our crypto founders themselves or our anchor investor Isomer already had uh, done previous um, fund investments in the space. Um, so it's true that during the time we were raising, it was, uh, you know, it was hard to convince people who didn't buy into Web3 yet. But actually, we see this as an advantage for us um, that the whole fund, including our LPs, are crypto native. So um, we've seen like funny coincidences of like uh, and opportunities of, for, for instance, in an LP call, we had one of the LPs that is a crypto founder connect with one of the portfolio companies for a collaboration. And, and so it's actually um, it turned out to be almost an advantage at this point. Um, and, and yeah, and it's uh, while the fundraising environment might be a bit tough, um, the investing environment, on the other hand, is ideal at this point. So happy about that. Yeah, it was really, really tough, right? I mean, we, we've, we've tried this to basically in 2020, beginning of 2020, uh, end of 2019, there we were in a full bear market. Like we didn't raise anything in half a year. This time it was basically the same scenario, right? Um, but we had more history, more track record. And we maybe even, yeah, we also had more grind. And um, the environment when we started was a bit better, right? We were not in a flat uh, time. We were starting to raise at the peak. So getting those first conversations going was easier. But then actually turning them into signed LPs was extremely hard. But, um, you know, with enough time, enough grind and enough connections, at some point, yeah, you have your first ticket, your second ticket, and then it kind of starts to, to roll. And we really leveraged mostly our crypto network for this. So the question was never, is crypto relevant or not? Like, if you have to discuss this with an LP in this market, like, they will never invest. It's basically what, we, what we've learned. Um, it's more about, okay, are you three guys good enough and know enough and are connected enough so that I trust you that you will invest well in this environment. And um, yeah. I featured you on our newsletter a couple of times. And one of the times I featured you with uh, a description that said that you are, you know, sometimes when I meet GPs that want to do a 50 million euro fund for two guys that have primarily some angel track record or, or it's, you know, or solo GP raising 30 million, you know, I'm always like, how much grind is there in that? And how much hustle is there in that? You guys are raising 20 million, uh, three guys. Uh, and I, I've always thought, well, I love it when I see GPs that are obviously not going to do this because they're going to get fat on the management. And, and 20 million split across to three of you is definitely not the place where you could make the highest wage uh, on a daily level. Um, and I, I just want to restate that for anyone listening in that this is part of the, the things that I like about teams like yours where I'm seeing that you're not doing this just for the fun of it or just because there's, uh, there, there's money to hunt. And especially, obviously, in, in crypto, you know, what you, what you want to be on the lookout for is for sure people that are, that, that, jumped in because it, it was hot and everyone, you know, could race at a certain point, right? Um, Dennis, you were about to, to touch on this as well. Uh, I wanted to add, it's not just that we're aiming to raise the 20 million for free people. It also, it's also that we live in Switzerland or like in Zurich, <laughs> one of the most expensive yeah. <laughs> places to live. So yeah, I'm literally living on less than I had during my PhD salary. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that, that, that's what I love, right? Uh, you know, I hate the guys that are rolling up in their Audi and then racing uh, too much. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm just uh, restating this to everyone listening and also because we have people wanting to race from us. So, <laughs> so it's also a message given there. Yeah, I think that's, that's an import, important point to also expand on. We're doing this for the passion. And I think that also transitions are like reverts and uh, bridges to what Mathieu has said, like our investment style and not being like a hedge fund. We're not like a short-term visitors. 
we see ourselves as um, convinced of the industry and as, as such, we see the biggest impact being in like as long as possible, as early as possible, and not just uh, come visit and, and, and leave again, but like stay for the purpose and yeah. for the um, change. You know, I want, I want to come back to this topic of what you just said, Dennis, but I want to come back to, you know, from, from what I heard from your journey, I think there's a couple of cool lessons that already extracted, right? So persistence, right? The fact that you tried this in 2020, you now have a success story to share, but it shows persistence, right? And you might not get it right the first time, but you can get it right eventually if you keep on working and, and iterating and improving and so on and so forth. And I think that's a great lesson for anyone listening in and just to share with, with you guys and also our listeners. It's a tough time right now in the market. And Andreas and, and myself, we have received some emails over this week only saying, GP saying, well, we've put our fundraise on hold. Well, and I think it's important to share these, these, this message as well. Well, that doesn't mean you're doomed, right? And you guys are a good example of that, right? So back in 2020, I'm sure you guys felt like shit. Well, you kept on working and grinding. And I think that's a beautiful story to share. And then Matthew, you also said something really cool about if I'm pitching to an LP and I'm having to pitch the sector, that, 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 that's not going to convert. And that's something we've learned. So maybe my question to you guys, and feel free to take some time to think any other lessons that you'd like to share with our listeners from that fundraising experience that you've had and those ups and downs and this long journey that now, you know, uh, I'm sure uh, PR will cover it and they'll say you guys are amazing and great, blah, blah, blah. But that's just, that's just kind of a front, right? It's, it's, really, it's really grueling and struggling and filled with lessons learned. One issue we had, and maybe that shines through on, on the podcast is, we are nerds, right? We are technical people. Um, we have done PhDs and papers and coded, and that's how we invest. And that also kind of corresponds to us not being the best salespeople. And usually VCs are amazing salespeople. And a lot of people say VC is about being a salesperson, right? You have these networks, all the deals come through networks. You need to like please a founder and then get access to the round, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of persons yeah, have gone through service industries where, where also this networking capability and the, the social aspect is very important. We come from the very different angle. And Initially, you know, we felt a bit like outsiders and it, it was hard to kind of, uh, we, we, we tried to become better salespeople basically. But what we learned over time is that it's worthwhile to just lean into our strengths and basically, you know, be blunt about it and say, okay, maybe we, we don't sell as well, but you know, here's what we've built, like the protocols we've built, the smart contracts we've coded, the tokens we've created. And uh, the founders that were impressed with our capabilities and thus invested in us, etc. So what I would say is like, yeah, lean into your strength. And also, if you are active in a very specific sector, like we are in Web3, and then within Web3, we focus on different verticals, right? We, again, lean into our strengths. We mostly invest in decentralized infrastructure protocols, where basically all the founders are super technical as well, where you really need to have a, a deep understanding to judge whether something is truly newly and innovative and, and can scale and uh, reach adoption, or you know, whether it's just some white paper idea. And um, yeah, that, that is an additional learning basically from, from our side. Another learning was that, the, you know, just getting started is, uh, is really valuable because then we can start proving that we get into interesting deals. We can have like a, if the fund is now, you know, having done our first close, it's not an idea anymore. The fund is life. We're investing and here's what we're doing. So that's uh, uh, also a bit of an easier sell than, than, uh, before having launched so just getting started i think is uh is another good lesson here yeah i think that's an extremely important point because just having done our like first close in in, in january even though that was a bit smaller than initially anticipated like we ended up uh, saying okay let's just do this and then do a second third and final close later uh, but just like build on that momentum and be able to a show that we already did a close and what we did and how much it was. And we do need to remind ourselves that that was like a huge, like success in the 2022 environment, which also we've heard repeatedly from, from industry insiders, but then also the other side, we now have a portfolio, right? We're not just selling an idea or like, uh, this is what we want to do. It's more like, Hey, this is what we did. And this is what we continue doing. And you can be part 
uh, of this portfolio. And now we can show you, here's these eight companies as it is. 50% is decentralized infrastructure. The other 50% is like real world impact. And based on that, we can discuss and we can dive into uh, the specifics. I love that message. I, I couldn't agree more with it. I, I, something I find myself resonating because a few, a few GPs have shared that on our podcast and I find myself resonating often to, to emerging and aspiring GPs. So Dennis, you were talking about passion, how you guys breed and live uh, the space. So you're not like... Uh, you know, random uh, big consulting guy meets random trader, and now we're going to do Web3 because we think it's cool and we can make make a lot of money. By the way, that's a real example in my head of people I've met. Um, and so my question to you is not to comment on those profiles, of course, but I guess there's a lot to be said about your networks, given, you know, you've dedicated your professional lives, at least to the space, your networks and how that influences the fund, meaning deal flow. Uh, but also how founders perceive you guys, right? Because you come across as gritty, entrepreneurial, and understanding this space. So I, I'd love to give you some space just to expand on these two topics. Well, the founders is a is a quite interesting story that that I would like to elaborate on more. So, like just just being able to have conversations with the founders, being able to like really technical conversations, discuss with them specifics about. The protocol design or the token design, like this is this, these are things that we have been doing for the past past months with founders. I think there we do we do share the passion. This is a bit of a disclaimer because I'm not going to talk about this now. Let's talk about this more later. My brain is occupied with your passion example and um, you telling me how uh, we're in for the passion, and I think an example. What we are doing, we also see ourselves as ecosystem builders, right? We're also trying to share the passion with other people. So that means Matthew is like leading our processes to, to establish like Zurich-based technical meetups, also conferences, bringing the community here together. Community might mean already technical people building, but also people that are just like interested and not yet convinced. I... I'm running like a scholarship in Bosnia, initially Bosnia and Serbia. Now it's all students currently in Bosnia, but uh, the next batch shall again expand in both countries. Basically there I got students that have more of a traditional Web2 background, students or graduates. So either the last year, final year students, or they already finished. They're experienced in web development. Maybe they end up front, de front end developers, back end developers. I don't know. They, they do some more or less commoditized software development and I'm pushing them towards both the machine learning, but now more and more the web free space. So what they're doing, they're getting a scholarship and in return, they have to learn. It's kind of a like learn to earn model. And for them, it's the first time that they experience this uh, crypto web free space. And they do that in a hands-on technical way by programming smart contracts, by building like a Bitcoin client in Python, and by analyzing blockchain data on Dune Analytics or on some other open and free to use platform. So, so let me add, I mean, on the one hand side, right, this is pure passion. Actually, this project then is started even before we had started the fund. Now, there is also a less passionate angle to this, right? Obviously, these guys that are being uh, built out in, in Bosnia at the moment as developers, like there's a, a, a big developer shortage in, in Web3 and more generally, but especially in Web3. And the price of living, unlike in Zurich, is very low in Bosnia. So we, we estimate that we can get great talent there and supply them at reasonable prices into our portfolio companies, right? And the nice thing about that is, you know, venture, it's not a really a scale business. We will have about 30 portfolio companies in our fund. And so even if we develop 10 people every year in Bosnia as devs, that's like a meaningful, meaning, very meaningful contribution for our portfolio uh, companies. And regarding the Club 3, right, what Dennis alluded to here in, here in Zurich, so we've co-founded this um, technical meetup series in Zurich together with other protocols like Gelato or Liquidity. Basically what we found, right, we, we traveled to all these conferences all around the globe. There are a lot of 
crypto conferences, you know, in Paris, in Lisbon, in Denver, um, in Istanbul, wherever. And oftentimes we've met really interesting people there and then figured out uh, in hindsight that they were also based in Zurich, which is kind of sad, right? You travel to Paris or Denver to learn uh, about an interesting person, which is living a couple of hundred meters away from you. And so we, we, we really wanted to create an uh, area where these people can congregate, where also students from ETH, where we all studied, or the University of Zurich can come and learn more about Web3. Again, it's a deep passion of ours to make, uh, you know, this area of tech more well known and to connect people. But ultimately, this will also drive deal flow. And, you know, we have about 100 devs joining these meetups. We've had founders of the likes of like Liquity or core Geth developers present at these meetups. So it's uh, somewhat small, uh, but pretty high caliber people that, that turn off there. I'd love to take this because now we've gone a bit into the micro and heard about how you're adding value both to founders, but also building out your uh, community around the, uh, the fund. But I'd love to take us all the way back to say the macro look at Web3 because all until uh, we had ChatGPT take all the uh, all the, uh, the 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 limelight everyone was talking web 3 but then we had the uh, you know we both had you know in the end we had we had chat gpt then allowing everyone to now focus on on generative ai but before that we we also had the 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 bust that came with uh with of course the um the whole you know, horrible situation with um with with our dear friend on the bahamas so I'd love to ask you because I think that there's many outside of Web3 that say that would say, isn't that long gone? The time when Web3 was something that you would bet on? And I know, you know, I, I'm looking at your slide deck and I, I, I know that that is not the truth. And that's also why we're investing. But I just want to ask you and give you the the opportunity to 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 reply to that question, uh, which I'm sure that some in our audience would have. Yeah, so while from the outside, I mean, certainly things have cooled down a bit. And uh, yeah, like the bad publicity events like FTX, you know, make it look from the outside like not much is going on anymore. Um, but it's a very different pictures uh, being immersed in the space. So not only do we have more developers than ever, like over 20,000 active developers building in Web3, but also just the, the adoption from the general culture um, is still still growing. Um, and, and we've seen this pattern before, like in the Web3 has gone through at least three cycles. And it's always been like that, that in the kind of bear market, which we're now in, the next wave of technology, which will in a few years again make huge headlines, is being built. So we see now like uh, um, so many more applications coming up, like new innovations, uh, uh, building another layer on top of these blockchains and opening up whole new areas of application. So um we couldn't be more excited, but just from the outside, you, you might not see all of that activity. Let me underline that with a few facts, right? So for example, right, prices of many currencies have dropped 50 to 80 to 90% over the last year or so. However, uh, developer activity has, has gone up during that same period of time. So we have like a 2x increase in developers that are active uh, in the area from 21 to 22, you know, if you look at enterprise adoption or you know, traditional brands which are adopting this, it, it is very similar, right? You have in culture around NFTs and gaming and so on, a lot of traditional brands that are jumping into the space, right? Nike building this uh, platform for NFTs, Adidas uh, launching their own NFTs, Christie selling over 100 million in NFTs. And if you look at the number, right, of NFT holders, this has 27x from 21 to 22. If you look at real world assets, and there we're talking more financial um, things, we have 500 million of treasury bills now on chain. We have Siemens, which did a $60 million loan. We have Societe Generale, who did a $100 million loan on Ethereum. And uh, real world assets overall, 22x from 21 to 22. So there we see real growth and adoption. But this is hidden under a lot of price decrease, which which the public eye catches more. Exactly. And what, what else? We see that other people might not see and Jan has mentioned, Mathieu has also mentioned, like Jan mentioned the number of developers, Mathieu mentioned uh, the, the number of developers doubled, which already helps us to like reference, where is it? Because the sheer number, what do I know how many it is? But I do know that the number is like, or like that developer 
crowd is actually the base for everything that's being developed. And then knowing that the number doubled in the last year tells me that 50% of the developers are new, right? So that means we have a new generation, a new cohort of developers with new ideas, with new innovation. And for me, that means we will see a lot of new twists and approaches on maybe existing problems, but also on, on new problems. And that is opportunity for us. I couldn't agree more, especially, you know, it's so, so clear when you talk to the people that are in this sector. Um, and when you're coming from the outside, all you've seen are all the tourists and the people that are in Web3 say, well, it's actually in a way, it's, it, it's just been a good thing for us uh, because before you had to sift through so much of people that didn't know anything about Web3, but uh, nonetheless, or blockchain nonetheless tried to build a startup that would would be branded Web3 or, or blockchain or whatever. So for that reason, am I right in saying that you you do really think that Web3 and the trajectory of Web3 is better today than it was a year ago? Absolutely. And I think it's also just zooming out and looking um, long term to us. It's inevitable that a large part, if we do have continue to have a global financial system, a large part of that is going to end up on Web3. And the same with many of the technological silos that we have now with, you know, the uh, your Googles and Facebooks and so on. It's also obvious to us if we uh, that we need a new infrastructure for this, you know, so not just the the opportunity isn't just a new financial system, but also a whole new infrastructure of the entire internet. So um, we couldn't be more excited about uh, investing in this space. I was thinking to myself that we covered some of my favorite questions that or topics to discuss with GPs, and I'm going to add a third one. And, and some of my favorite questions are why you, right? And I think we just covered that in our previous, chat, our previous topic of conversations. Why a VC fund? And I think you also covered that in the intro. And then one question that I also love is why now? Like why why does it make sense to 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 start very early now, right? Why not in ten years or not two years ago? There's always a better time, right? Three years ago would have been excellent, but well, uh, we we didn't manage, so so now is the second best time to launch from an LP perspective, right? Which is ultimately our client. Now is the best time because prices are de depreciated. So we have public prices down 80, 90% in Ethereum still, you know, like 60% down. We've seen since FTX and now with the banking crisis, especially uh, that private rounds has come down a lot in pricing. So Web3 pre-seed seed rounds are still elevated compared to you know, traditional fintech, but also the possibility of returns are very elevated. So that still makes sense. But basically, you get in at cheaper prices now than one, two years ago. And as Jan said, right, we've been through many cycles in this industry, and we are sure there will be a next cycle of excitement uh, coming at some point. And if you invest now, you can, you can actually take the returns that this cycle will generate. I can also answer on a more technical level, right? This is just purely financial. But if you look at the technological level, I think the last cycle has shown us that blockchain or Web3 leads to very interesting technological innovations, right? We have in the first ICO cycle, we haven't seen true user adoption. We haven't seen true Web3 applications. It was basically one application fundraising for Ethereum. But in this last cycle, we have, we have seen a bunch of true innovations and seen how valuable blockchain can be. So in DeFi, you know, we've seen five to 10 guys build an exchange in a couple of years, which now trades 5% of the volume of NASDAQ. NASDAQ is a massive company, right? So it's just so much more efficient to build financial applications on a blockchain than in the traditional world. Well, you have to pay for every transaction. Yes, that is inefficient. But to build the application is a lot easier because you don't rely on regulation and trust, but you rely on Ethereum as a trusted and, and decentralized and verifiable execution layer. And you, can, you get access to that by paying you know, a couple of dollars for every transaction. 
And uh, I think that is super exciting to have this validation of that the technology can actually build something interesting. However, we now need more scalability and we know technologically what needs to be built over the next coming years for really scaling this to not just a couple of million users, but billions of users. And that's what we are investing yes, in. Yes, and exactly the, that part of what are you investing in is what I've been looking forward to, to dive into for, for the duration of this interview. Because I really want to hear the cornerstones of your thesis. And I'll just read them out loud and then it will take each of them, uh, you know, and, and, and dive deeper. You've got decentralized infrastructure of, as one of your themes. Then you've got real world impact and you've got public markets opportunity. I'd love to ask whichever of you to go first and tell me more about decentralized infrastructure, your thesis there, and what you see being the value drivers. Decentralized infrastructure, what do we mean with that? Basically, uh, Ethereum could be that, but then also on the layers on top, we have infrastructure which needs to be built or which already exists, but needs to be built in a more decentralized way. So basically, what we believe in fundamentally is that decentralization is very important for Web3 because it enables the composability of apps. So we are not just like political fundamentalists that believe in decentralization. We are more coming from the technological angle and say decentralization has a lot of disadvantages. It makes everything more costly, but also it have a lot, has, has like the key advantages for Web3, namely that apps become composable. Like it's a truly open ecosystem, just like the web too maybe was in the beginning, but has lost that aspect over time. And now at the moment, the current situation in web three is that the layer ones, the fundamental blockchains are somewhat decentralized, right? Ethereum is pretty decentralized. Other blockchains are a bit less, but they are like okay-ish decentralized. But the layers on top, which were built over the last few years, they had to be built very fast. You didn't really know whether you would have adoption of these things ultimately. And so they were built the easy way, namely in a centralized way, right? How do you stake your tokens? How do you even sign a transaction? How do you create a wallet? How do you send a signed transaction to the blockchain? How is it getting integrated there? All of these examples are basically infrastructure examples. So some type of infrastructure is needed to execute this action. And all of that has been built in a, in a centralized way. And what we now see is that a new wave of entrepreneurs come and they take the ethos of Web3 to these layers as well. And they say, okay, we can build this in a better way, in a more decentralized way. And new technology, progress around zero K, CK knowledge, but also around the scalability that we have with L2s, so layer twos, rollups, allow these infrastructure protocols to be built in a different way. And that is basically our focus. So we believe if ultimately a DAP builder, like the builder of a protocol will decide, you know, which infrastructure will win. And if they can choose between a more decentralized and a very centralized one, we believe they will go for the more decentralized one because it creates more certainty for them that it will always work and that they will be not cut out by, you know, a single government decision or so. Yeah, that's our thesis there. And what we have invested there to give you a few examples, right, is, um, for example, a decentralized RPC network, gateway.fm, or a decentralized liquid staking protocol, which is Diva, these kind of things. Then when it comes to the real world part of the thesis, so while we've in the last cycle, we've validated some core new applications. And now um, for the next cycle, it will really be about crossing that chasm towards real world applications. So this, of course, connects with the first thesis. For instance, when it comes to scalability, we need to be able to host many more uh, users at the same time without uh, the, the uh, transaction fees uh, growing too much. Um, but it also means to build out these use cases that we've seen first signs of product market fit of. Um, for instance, the whole NFT space, like we've mentioned earlier, we've seen quite a lot of not just enterprise adoption uh, um, in this space, but um, uh, artists and athletes using NFTs as a new tool for monetization and distribution and to create a direct relationship between uh, themselves and their fans. So uh, in order to further build out this use case, for instance, we invested in NFT-Fi, 
which allows high value NFTs to unlock their financial value as well as, as um, a collateral in loans. Um, and then also that the, maybe the next uh, a big cluster of use cases was around DeFi, decentralized finance. So here we see like large gaps in the market still, for instance, around bringing debt on chain. So here we've made two investments in DebtDAO, which tokenizes future revenues and, and uses that for loans. And AlloyX, which is an infrastructure for on-chain credit, bringing real-world credit on-chain and then building portfolios or, or um, uh, ETFs with that. And yeah, and then maybe lastly, um, there's also a, a whole new wave of UX improvements needed. So the whole setup with um, clunky private keys and so on, is, is, it just won't work for like the really mass adoption. So that's why we invested in, in Capsule, which provides a, a, a infrastructure to make this UX just so much easier to allow people to sign in with uh, um, a social or to, to recover their private keys uh, without losing the decentralization part. So they still own their assets, but it's just much easier to, to deal with Web3 applications. Maybe before I dive into the last thesis we have, so like the, uh, the last pillar of our investment thesis, the, the public markets opportunity, uh, maybe I use the opportunity to like, to recap on our like strategy or like portfolio construction. So like essentially what we're doing, we're investing like, let's say about 50, 60, possibly a little more percent in these private deals. So that's like investing in equity. That's also investing in future tokens. We're quite agnostic there. We might have a small preference for tokens when they're actually like purposeful and they add some value to the protocol. Um, but we're also very keen on equity and actually we if there's no need for a token, then yes, please, let's uh, stick to the old school um, equity. So that also means there's a remainder of like uh, one third that we reserve for these public markets, this public markets opportunity that allows us to purchase tokens that are already available, already trading, already public, either on decentralized exchanges or it could also be on, on the centralized exchanges that you might know and be more familiar with. Uh, why do we do that? Well, uh, one reason is, Mathieu mentioned, um, prices have been correcting a lot. And we do think this is a good time to, to slowly scale into certain protocols and tokens. Uh, the other reason is that tokens often have an important feature an important purpose in certain protocols. That means they have to be liquid early on. You have to be able to purchase them, to get involved in the space. That gives us the opportunity to scale in there. That also gives us lots of data to use to find like reasonable prices. And there we see um, an opportunity that's still very, very uh, interesting for even a VC style investing. Dennis, you know, uh, just, I, want, I want to step back again, right, and refocus on the theme in itself, right? So you gave us an overview of the strategy, but I'd love to hear you kind of explain a bit more the, the value drivers that you see on that theme specifically, right, on, on the public markets opportunity. And also in, you know, the, the cap or how you think about investing there, because I think many... To, this is, of course, the space that, that, that our VC audience will know very little about, right? So how do you think about that? Would you take to buy tokens in companies that you're not associated with otherwise? Would you buy it on, on projects that are 10 years old or five years old and it's being traded and then it has to have had a drop in value? And then you're coming in because you have the thesis that it'll, it'll, it'll come back up? Or how do you think about that, those balances and, and, and the boundaries of your investment uh, mandate within public tokens? That's an interesting question. I think generally, um, as you mentioned, like projects or tokens that are 10 years old, that's probably not within our focus, especially given that not that many projects or tokens are 10 years old. So it's usually also in this case, the early projects, the early tokens that are not possibly not as, as, as well known, and they might be more long tail than, than they are the most predominant. But that doesn't mean that we're not open to 
from a deployment strategy to, to slowly get into public markets by evaluating the Ethereum ecosystem. That is something we're very keen on. We're very focused on, on Ethereum and on the various layer twos. So for us, it's relevant to start with the base, start with the Ethereum and the Ethers and go into the layer twos, for instance, the possibly optimisms or arbitrums. Interesting because Arbitrum just launched their token last uh, yesterday, and it allows us to place a bet on the L2 and Arbitrum ecosystem. And in that case, that's something that has been technically developing for the past two, three years, but a token that is quite new and younger. I just uh, wanted to add one bit around like, okay, why, why buy these tokens in the first place? So it's, it's important to understand that for many of these decentralized protocols, the token has a very similar function as equity would have in a, a normal startup, so to say, in the sense that it's the token that captures the value that's being created in the, in the protocol. So sometimes it is used for fees or sometimes some of the fees generated flow into the token in one way or the other. And then it opens up a whole whole new um, ways of using the token that you know equity can be used uh, as. So, for instance, uh, it's often used as a distribution mechanism to get more adoption, and uh, it's often also built in directly in the protocol. So it has a, a utility or a specific function that increases the the usefulness or the effectiveness of of any given protocol. So that's just something to understand that is very different from uh, how trad yeah. traditional venture works. I was sitting here thinking, remembering one of our, f maybe our second chat, I can't remember exactly, but where I, where I literally said, guys, that is law, like super weird for me. Educate me, like share some links with me. And you guys were super kind. You shared a bunch of links on like four or five links on different, like different resources for me to read on. And, and I found that really cool. Thank you, by the way, for that. But I think many of our listeners might be a bit out of their footing here. So I wonder if there's any kind of misconceptions or kind of weird things people or, or even funny uh, things you've had to, to rebuttal when talking to potential LPs about misconceptions in token investing. So I'd love to, 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 to ask you guys, are there any that you'd like to highlight? So I think there are many. <laughs> Most traditional investors feel that, you know, tokens are pump and dump schemes. They have zero value. People pump them up, sell it to retail, and uh, it's basically valueless. I would say that's a very simplistic view. I think in some areas with bad companies, it is accurate. But in other cases, especially if you have not really companies, but protocols that you build, which are truly decentralized, where you need to incentivize different types of people, the token plays a, a vital role in making that actually viable. So, for example, Ethereum couldn't work without its native token. It is, it is essential for the inner working of this system, especially now since also the block production is based on staking this Ethereum token. Now, I've been a product manager myself, right, for years in the, in the space. And I think as a product manager or as a founder, you know, the token just increases the, the, the possibilities in the design space enormously. It's like a new tool that you get to build better applications. If you just slam it on top of an existing application and you say, well, it's basically like a stock, then it doesn't really help you. But you, if, you, if you integrate it deeply into your product and you connect certain actions to it and you, you use it to incentivize certain types of your users for certain actions, it can be extremely powerful, right? And for example, in Ethereum, the token serves a number of purposes. It is used basically as money to send money back and forth. It is used to incentivize stakers and block producers so that they don't cheat in adding new blocks to Ethereum. And it is used for a number of different things. And if you build an application, you should really decide whether you can build it without a token. And then I'd advise you not to do one or whether you actually need a token to make your product better because there's always a trade-off. A token creates uh, a lot of issues as well. And only if using the token is worth more than, you know, uh, the, the drag that it creates, it, it makes sense. Another common misconception is that these tokens are all currencies and they're, they're really not, even though in some use cases, like on the layer one, for instance, Ethereum, 
they also have that monetary functions. In most, uh, in most of the applications, they don't. So there it's really more a utility tied to the product itself and a instrument to capture value and distribute ownership. And so because there's this whole spectrum of what tokens can be, they're basically custom designed financial instruments, the token design part is also very important, both for us to decide what is uh, an interesting investment, but also as a value add that we provide to founders, that we can help them design tokens that are effective. One more thing to add is while on the private side, our big value add for our LPs is the deal flow and our network we have for this more or less publicly accessible market. It's more the curation and filtering out what is relevant and what is actually purposeful and what is not. And mentioning that for our non-crypto LPs, we're also happy to support them as we supported you with educating and uh, teaching them more about all these peculiarities. Nah, that's, that's an incredibly important note, actually, Dennis, especially given the what we also spoke about, right? The ups and downs of this space. So having someone that can help you and curate these opportunities is incredibly valuable. Guys, before we round this off, I have to ask a super important question, which is at the end of the day, the whole venture industry exists to cater to this atomic molecule that is the founders, the startups. They are the ones creating the value and we're just lucky to be part of that journey and helping them with capital and know-how. So tell me a couple of examples of your portfolio that highlight and like serve as examples or case studies to the different themes that we just talked about. So the first one I'd like to mention is Diva Labs. So Diva is building a liquid staking protocol. So what that means is that, as we've mentioned before, the Ethereum blockchain is secured by people staking Ether and locking up that capital in order to ensure that they're validating the blockchain properly. Now, what Diva is doing is, is two things. It allows, first of all, that stake is usually locked up and now Diva makes it liquid. And then the second big thing is they allow people to pool together. So normally you would need uh, 32 Ether to validate uh, um, the blockchain, which is still 50,000 or more at these prices and likely will, will even be more in the future. So with Diva and, and they, they're leveraging distributed validator technology to allow for this, with as little as one Ether, somebody can participate in that process of securing the, the blockchain. So they make the staking liquid, they make it more accessible and limit the collateral requirements. And then thirdly, they also build a much better UX to, to do this uh, staking and validation process. So that's why we're super excited about them. We've looked at so many different companies in this space and Diva convinced us both with the excellence and experience of their team and like a clear innovation on a technological level. So basically one company that I've been really excited about is Gateway, like gateway.fm. Gateway builds more resilient and more performant blockchain infrastructure. So basically what does it mean? Uh, whenever you're interacting with the blockchain and you're not running a node yourself, or sometimes you want to have one in parallel just to be sure that the data you're getting is actually correct. So when you're depositing uh, Ether, let's say on, on, on Coinbase or your stable coin on some centralized exchange, you need to know that it really arrived and it really got there. Same when you withdraw, but also when you're interacting with like decentralized exchanges, for instance, you want to know what is the actual state you need to read. And you actually also need to write once you decide to do a trade or like exchange your US dollars or your USDC, your DAI uh, for Ether. And sometimes quite many people want to do that. So it gets like very crowded and you want to make sure that you have resilient and fast data and you want to be able to post your data, write it to the blockchain. And what we like there about Gateway is that they built really closely with the data, data centers. So they're not just like building a, a wrapper for AWS and then just delaying that, but they work together and they host or yeah, host these uh, nodes, these special nodes on bare metal, as we like to say, and can therefore really optimize uh, the performance and help us provide like a more decentralized blockchain infrastructure and a super technical, they've been working with the 
Geth team, with the Ethereum Foundation, with TurboGeth that is now Aragon. So hardcore engineers that really know what uh, developers need and ultimately also what users need. And they're also being supported by, for instance, the Gnosis Foundation, uh, which we have been co-investing with for a few times now. So as a final example, we've heard about two uh, startups here that are active in this decentralized infrastructure space. And I think as a fund, we do actually spend about two thirds of our time in the VC area on that and also about two thirds of our money. But we also invest in real world impact areas. So what we mean there is, you know, leveraging the technology that blockchain enables to actually build real world businesses, like connect that to economic growth in the real world. And I think that is an example that alludes a bit more to traditional investors that don't know that much about the tech of blockchain. So we've long talked about tokenization, right? And finally, we see that this is actually happening and we see traction there. So in the last two, three years, several hundred million tokenized assets have been created. And what type of assets are we talking about here? So it's mostly yield-bearing assets. So bonds of consumer loans, uh, bonds that SMEs in emerging markets have issued, etc. And there are several protocols that do that tokenization aspect. So for example, Goldfinch, which is an Andreessen uh, Horowitz portfolio company, or uh, Centrifuge, which is based in Europe, or Credix, etc. Now these have led to the several hundred million tokenized assets. Now, the problem is this is primary issuance. It's very asset specific, jurisdiction specific, etc. That's why you haven't invested there. But we want to invest in the blockchain based infrastructure, which is now leveraging that these assets come on chain. And so we've invested in LOX, which is a team of former fund managers. So they used to run a fund which gave credit to SMEs in emerging markets. And now what they build is infrastructure so that fund managers can easily create funds on the Ethereum blockchain, selecting different types of assets which have been tokenized. So imagine like in a traditional world as a fund manager, right? You have to set up a vehicle. You have to go to some bank to be able to buy these different types of assets and somebody has to audit it, et cetera, et cetera. There's like a lot of legal overhead that is connected to running a fund. And once an asset is tokenized and on the blockchain, all of this can be automated. And LOX, our former fund manager that created this infrastructure so that running a fund on chain with these traditional assets becomes automated. And a final point here is what we like about that case and other cases in that area is on the one hand side, it's a clear cost cutting case. So you can do the same as in the old world, but cheaper. But if it is really cheaper, like a hundred or a thousand X time cheaper, that also allows for new business models, right? For example, you can now have a fund which is of the size of 10 million or 5 million, or which is like hyper-specific and very detailed decision criteria, which were executed automatically, right? And that is only possible because the transactions and, uh, and all of that is automated and a lot cheaper and so we are also enabling new types of businesses to be built here thanks guys for that rundown and i have to also add something that you did not which is the circle of co-investors you have is quite significant it's not the small players it's the likes of kleiner perkins and a16c and that leads me to the question that i've been wanting to to end this interview on which is how the hell does a small 20 million euro player managed to play around in the space where we have the behemoths of Kleiner Perkins and A16C throwing around millions of euros, if not tens of millions of euros at projects that seem to come right out of the garage. Yeah, it's a very good question. And I, I think that's where the 20 million is actually a big advantage. So on the one hand side, obviously, we have a great network. We've been in the space for years. We know these people for a long time. Often we know the founders even before they start the company. So that is our network. Second point is value add, right? We're not just giving money. You get three founders of a fund, not some principal or analyst that is really tied into it. Like we've talked about grit, you know, here's true grit that comes to you if we invest. It's basically our life depends on, on this investment performing well and the founder being happy about us. 
And then finally, it's the size, right? We don't invest 4 million in a 4.5 million round. We invest a couple of 100K. Honestly, if we had to invest 10 times more, it would be harder. But um, with our check size, we usually get into rounds if we really want to. And that is ultimately the reason why smaller funds perform way better than bigger funds, right? It's this mechanic. And, and we also rely on, on that unfair advantage, at least with, with our first fund. Just to expand on that value add piece. So not only do crypto founders like to work with crypto natives, it's also that we've, you know, we've built protocols and products and tokens before, so we can be much more specific with the support that we provide. For instance, the designing a token part, like they have to do this once for their startup. So it doesn't make sense for them to hire somebody specialized for it necessarily. So this is a very strong value add that we can provide for these founders that other VCs can't necessarily do. And the same goes with the um, support on product architecture or data science. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's really sets us apart. And on that note, guys, thank you a ton for joining us. It was really nice. Really looking forward to see the future very early and hopefully play a positive and value adding role in that. Awesome to have you guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, Andreas. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.